Welcome to the New Stories Podcast. Well, good afternoon, everybody. I am very warmed by the fact that I get to spend time with our incredible students from Sandy Spring Friends School. I'm Rodney Glasgow, the head of school, and I've got four students with me today to talk about something that really is near and dear to our school. And what drew me here is this topic of self-advocacy. And so we're gonna jump into what does self-advocacy look like from the student lens? And that's gonna be our topic this afternoon. And joining us in that topic, we'll have the students introduce themselves and maybe let's go by order of first letter of your last name, which would put Joss up first. Hi friends, I'm Joss. I'm a senior here at Sandy Spring Friends School and it is my third year at the school. Hi, I'm Seamus. I'm a sophomore, and it's my fourth year at Sandy Spring Friends School. Uh, I'm Susie. I'm in seventh grade, and this is my fourth year at Sandy Spring. I'm Megan. I'm a junior. I've been at Sandy Spring my entire life, but this is my 13th academic year here. Awesome. So a broad range of students spanning multiple divisions and multiple times of years here. So that's great. Thinking about this idea of self-advocacy, let's first start with making sure we know exactly what we're talking about. So as a student, when you hear self-advocacy, what does that word mean to you? If I said define self-advocacy, how would you define it? At a basis, I would say it's communication, but it's communication surrounding knowledge of what you deserve, your rights, and self-awareness, and then a little bit of leadership because I think self-advocacy is a leadership skill. To piggyback off that, I think it's really just getting what you need to succeed and it's a form of standing up for yourself. Yeah, and meeting your needs as a student and as a person, it's really important. And not being afraid to ask for help is definitely a big part of it. Just being able to stick up for yourself when there's something you feel like you need or could be different. So let's also come at it from the other side. What is it? self-advocacy. I heard y'all talk a lot about getting what you need and, and Josh framing it as in a skill for leadership and community building. But what does self-advocacy not mean? And thinking about a lot of times people can confuse self-advocacy for things like getting what I want no matter what, right? What are some things that self-advocacy does not include? Self-advocacy definitely doesn't include you know, being rude or belittling or taking away from what other people need just because you need something too. Yeah, before I used to kind of make me nervous about, I guess, sticking up for myself because I confuse it sometimes with thinking, oh, I'd be rude to say what I like want or what I think needs to change. But it's not being rude as long as you do it in a way that's not take away from what other people need. I think a good way to put it is getting what you need without um, negatively impacting someone else. And also getting what you need, but in a way that doesn't impact everybody else in a negative way. And it kind of works for everyone, I guess. It's a win-win situation when self-advocacy is done right. So at our school, we talk about self-advocacy all the time. And we, we feel like it is an essential skill for our students. But why is self-advocacy as a student such an important thing to learn how to do? And it's not an easy thing to do, but why is it an important thing to do? 
It helps create a sense of independence because while you are sometimes asking for help, it's in a way that helps you and makes you more independent in the long run. And that's really important, especially as you get older. I agree, because as much as other people want to help you and will try to help you at the end of the day, sometimes it's only you who can be an ally for yourself and you need your own skills to get what you need. Independence and knowing how to ask for help or receiving help are not ideas that are secular of each other. They are very much intertwined. And so having that ability to know when is the right time to ask for help and how to do that so you as an individual can continue to survive is a very essential part of independence. It's very important, obviously, to learn how to advocate for yourself. Like other people are saying, it just teaches you independence. And it teaches you not to always rely on somebody else to make you happy. You can learn how to make yourself happy as well as others if you're sticking up for other people as well. It also helps you understand yourself more and how you learn and interact with others. So it's powerful. And it also can be very difficult, right? Self-advocacy, you've got to kind of train yourself to do it. When you know you need to ask for help, when you know you need to advocate for yourself, what do you do to get yourself prepared and ready to self-advocate? How do you psych yourself up for it? This is an interesting question because I feel like on my personal self-advocacy journey, it's been a long time going. I know growing up, I was in a lot of programs for girls to learn how to speak up for yourself because that's just something that society has focused on as of recent. And so in the beginning, as I was learning and was younger, I would definitely have these situations where it was a checklist in my head and I would have to like ask myself, do I know what I'm saying? Am I clear on what I'm asking for? Am I sure that this is the right person to ask and so that's definitely how it was in the beginning now it's more so is this thing negatively impacting me yes or no if the answer is yes then we need to solve this and at the end of the day it's just a reminder that this is my life and i'm in control of it and i want to live a good life so i'm gonna do what it takes to continue living a good life almost like a form of self-care is what it sounds like you're talking about that I think it is self-care because if you need something that'll help boost you, how you feel, or just your like, grades, for example, or something, then it's a positive, it's self-care. I'm thinking about on the teacher's side, and teachers say all the time, I want my students to come to me. If you need something, ask. If you've got a question, five other people have the question, so don't be afraid to ask. And it's easy to say that, but what can a teacher do to set the stage for you to feel comfortable so when I'm in Rodney's class, I'm, if I need something, I am going to say something. Or if I want to talk about something, I'm going to bring it up. I can self-advocate in his class because what does a teacher do to make sure that you feel comfortable advocating with them? They're easy to talk to, and they don't judge you for asking questions because sometimes I'll think, oh, this is a stupid question. And they're like, there's no such thing as stupid questions. And even though that saying is so annoying, it sometimes helps a lot when you're communicating with a teacher and not being afraid to ask the little questions is definitely important. And when the teachers are welcoming and open about that, then that's really helpful. Yeah, I think for me, when you do advocate for yourself once or just a couple times, a lot of what motivates me to do it again is the way the teacher reacts because if they react in a negative way it'll make me not want to stand up for myself because I think oh they're gonna get mad at me 
and if they react in a positive way, I think it motivates me more to advocate for myself because I'm like, oh, it's not a bad thing and they're not mad at me. So why don't I do it more? I totally agree. The reaction of the teacher is so important. It's not just what they say, it's their actions towards the movement and how quickly they address it and overall how they treat you after you stick up for yourself or self-advocate. And another thing for me is for teachers specifically understanding that not all students are the same. Not all students are as vocal or as easy to self-advocacy. So allowing for multiple ways for students to self-advocate definitely at the younger ages so they can build upon those skills as they get older. I know a certain teacher of mine when I was in elementary school had these slips for questions and that definitely helped students that weren't able to raise their hand during class or ask questions if they felt embarrassed. So just coming to your class knowing that if however many individuals are in your class or however many different ways you have to address situations because not every student is the same. I think reaction is super important. If you go to ask a teacher a question, they're like, oh, it's in the textbook. Okay, but you can have a deeper conversation. I had a teacher once at the beginning of the year. We made little notes about how we like to talk to teachers and stuff like that. So that way she incorporated all of our classmates' ways of what would be easier for the uh, teacher-student connection to be for everyone because everyone does learn differently. For me personally, I have ADHD, and so all the teachers know that. But one thing that's also really helpful is talking to the teachers and describing how I learn. And when they listen to that and apply it when I'm with them, that's also very helpful because then after a while, they kind of know how my brain works. So when I advocate for myself, they're on it and they get it. It's like they're in your brain as you're asking the question. And that's really helpful, too. So I'm hearing build in ways for me to self-advocate as part of the routine, have a a box for questions or a way for me to ask questions that are just a part of what we do in the class. I heard manage your reactions to my requests. So even if you're like, I've already said this three times, say it the fourth time (laughs) and appreciate the fourth opportunity to say it. So in some ways in checking your tone and and even your body language when a self-advocacy moment happens. And then I'm hearing and know me, know where I may need to ask for clarification, where I may need to ask for help and come from a place of knowing me and knowing where my questions come from. Great advice for teachers. For students, this is something that y'all practice and something we practice at school. So for students who are trying to get better at self-advocacy, they may have that shyness or even anxiety around asking a teacher for help. How do they build up their ability to ask that question to self-advocate for themselves. What do you suggest to students when they're getting ready to self-advocate? What should they do or think about? Something I know that helped me was sometimes when I have a question, I'm scared to ask a teacher because maybe a kid knows it. So sometimes asking a friend first to build up to it, it still gets you in the practice of asking questions, but it's with someone you know. And then if they're not helpful, then maybe go to the teacher. But definitely asking a friend is a good step to start getting there. Like I said, for me, it's hard because I think, oh, I'm going to sound rude if I say it. But if I practice in my head what I want to say, then that really helps. And also trying to think other people probably have the same question or are feeling the same way about it. And also just knowing that everybody is always learning different things. And so maybe I'm learning how to do this. Just like teachers are still learning how to be even better teachers than they are now. So it's okay. 
I think another big thing is trust with your teacher and your peers, because I've been in some classes, not here actually, but there are teachers a little bit, maybe a little strict and the students are a little bit quiet and you don't really know a ton of people. And it's daunting to ask questions sometimes, especially in front of just people you don't know that well. So I think if you just establish enough trust between the teachers and the students, then questions come more freely and you're not as nervous to say uh, what you need. I think my biggest thing, which I think everyone kind of alluded to, was definitely that self-hype. You have to really truly believe that what you're asking for is something that's going to better you or help you or something that you deserve in the long run, because that really helps you realize like, oh, okay, this is a need. It's the same way you wouldn't deprive yourself of water because you know you need water to survive. Being in that mindset really does help calm your nerves to a certain degree. So hyping yourself up and truly believing what you're about to quote unquote preach is very, very helpful. You've done all the preparation. You've psyched yourself up. You're ready to go in. You know what you need. You've asked the question and the answer is no. <laughs> or the outcome is not what you wanted. You talk about a time when you advocated for yourself and it didn't turn out the way you thought it was going to and what you learned and how you bounced back from that. With me, one time I was getting math help and the teacher just couldn't explain it in a way that I could understand. And something that's really helpful is knowing that there is more than one math teacher on campus. And so knowing that there are other resources around campus, I went to a, my old middle school math teacher to get help because she knew how to explain it to my type of brain. Because not every teacher is going to know how to explain to every kid's kind of brain because everyone's different. But knowing that there are teachers on campus that can is really helpful. And I've done it a couple of times and it's so nice. Definitely try to utilize all of your resources. Hearing a no can be very discouraging and try not to let that knock you back too far definitely take time to sit in that feeling and reflect again about the situation but don't let it keep you down and then once you get back up as megan said try to look at your resources or another way to approach this or even going back to the original person that said no and asking for a further explanation because the more conversation that you guys have the more understanding that both parties could reach you could understand why they said no or they can understand why you were asking for something in the first place an example that comes to mind is i one time asked the teacher if i could have an extension for a project and she was like i'm sorry i can't first i was like how could you do this to me that's so unfair but then i, I sat down i was like okay I'm over my disappointment, over my anger. I can just sacrifice a little bit of free time here and there and I can finish it. And it almost became like a challenge. And it, was, it wasn't it was fun to do it at some points, obviously, but it was a little fun game. And in the end, it all worked fine. And it taught me how to work a little bit harder. Yeah, just understanding that one little bump in the road doesn't mean that every time you advocate for yourself or speak up for yourself, it's going to be like that. That was just one time or maybe a couple of times. But the further you go, the easier it'll get. And you'll just gain your confidence from like quote unquote failures or just it not working out. Let's talk about the community aspects of this. As you're advocating for yourself, how do you also check yourself and make sure that you're balancing what you need with all the other folks in the class or all the other folks in the community? How do you keep self-advocacy from turning into a, a selfishness or self-centeredness? 
I think a big thing to think about is, is it something that's positive to just me? If you're going to ask a question in class, and it might be a serious question for me, but if it takes up, you know, five minutes of time, it might hurt others learning where I could have probably just asked the teacher after class or during break. So I think just saying do the pros outweigh the cons, is it productive as a whole for everyone who's around you? If I'm like having one of those days in class where nothing is like grasping me and I have so many questions, I'll write them down on a piece of paper and just wait until the end of class and be like, okay, I need help. And normally, because there's a five minute transition period between classes, just having that little time after class, as people are packing up, I go up to the teacher and I can skim over my questions and be like, okay, which ones got answered, which ones didn't, and then go over them with the teacher. That's really helpful. I think we've all heard the saying, oh, if you have questions, wait till the end of class, please, because you might have a question that if we waited three or four minutes, it would be answered. And I think that is an important part, just reflecting, especially on time, because recognizing that it's not beneficial for the whole class or the whole group doesn't always mean I don't need to address this eventually. It just might mean maybe right now in the time of group work isn't the time to bring it up. That doesn't mean don't address it, just try to be considerate of everyone around you. Broadening out on an even larger level, virtual learning. And as we were starting this, when we first came in, y'all were catching us up on things and y'all were saying, I've been on Zoom for five hours. I've been on Zoom since 9 a.m. <laughs> and, and so how is this virtual world presented some different challenges for you? And how have you advocated for yourself in the virtual environment? Because I imagine it's different than advocating when you're in person with the teachers. So talk us a little bit about that. Just going to see teachers, especially in the first month of school during office hours, saved me so many times. I would have a small question, but I would forget to ask it in class. It's really nice to know you have the option of, oh, I forgot today, but tomorrow I can just pop in real quick. If you stay connected with your teachers, things just get much easier and your questions get easier to ask. So I think that was really important for me. Yeah, I always have this inner conflict. Like, it's such a small question. Do I email? Do I wait? Because office hours is over. It's past three. I don't know what to do. So sometimes I just have to force myself and be like, Megan, it's a small question, but you have to ask it. So you have to do emails because emails feel so much more formal. And so that's definitely been something that I've had to push myself more. And also using the Google Classroom private chat on an assignment, sometimes helpful, especially in the eight to three per time period during hybrid school, because like that's when the teachers are most active on their computers. Yeah, for me, virtual school has made it easier in some ways, but also harder in other ways. Like sometimes it's just a bit easier to add a private comment on Google Classroom, like Megan said, or a private chat, your teacher in the Zoom. But it's also made it harder because you don't have that conversation aspect. You have more of like a teacher presenting like a Google Slides or something. And you don't have that feeling that you have in a classroom where it's just kind of a conversation where you can easily bring it up. Be like, hey, I have a question about this or I'm confused about this. As we're rolling back into on-campus and in-person learning and phasing ourselves slowly back into this new in-person normal, and we often talk sort of about the cons of virtual schooling because it is challenging, but what are you going to miss about <laughs> virtual schooling? Or what did you learn while learning virtually that you're like, I need to bring this forward when I go back to campus. I need to still continue the spirit of this. 
something that I'm gonna miss is just the private chat and it's just kind of easy to chat in the chat box and just have a fun conversation and instead when you go in person you have to like raise your hand and wait for the teacher to call on you but yeah I'm just gonna miss that I totally agree with Susie. I think that can be transferred over into in-person learning. Just remembering like, oh, when I was able to have individual time with my teacher, that was so important, so beneficial for me. So now those academic times where I'm usually hanging out at the library or the bistro, maybe I should use that to go talk to a teacher. Getting introduced to that feeling of, oh, this was actually helpful, definitely encourages you to do it even if before virtual school maybe that wasn't your stilo that wasn't the thing you did but now it is something you'd be interested in yeah and also scheduled office hours with teachers individual one-on-one times those are nice because yes while someone can pop into the zoom while you're on the zoom with them they're there they're muted and so it's not like you're in a classroom and the kids hovering behind you waiting to be with the teacher it's not as like nerve-wracking I guess and there's like another kid waiting behind you because this is your time (laughs) that's your time to work with your teacher so that's something that I liked about being virtual I think just the time management piece there's a lot of distractions at home obviously but after a while you get used to like okay I'm just gonna stay away from certain things but like my classes would be over by 11 and maybe I'd have like a zoom or two but they usually weren't too long so I could just eat lunch, right, and then just work on my homework and then be nearly done by the time it's midday. Whereas in, when we go back, I won't get home until four or something. And then I, I, I have to start my homework then. Another thing I just remembered is giving people a little bit more leniency and not expecting that even someone that is quote unquote higher than you or more educated than you knows exactly what they're doing. Because as we entered virtual school, it was a lot of unprecedented times and people not knowing what they were doing and so everyone parents teachers students were on the same general understanding we're all trying our best and we're all trying to do what's best for other people and I think being in the mindset that everyone has good intentions and everyone is trying their best really helps you not jump to conclusions and get mad at other people and gives you a better understanding. It really just puts yourself at peace because you're not getting mad at other people for no reason. I love that I'm hearing so much of our Quaker values and that continuing revelation, right, that we were all learning and all evolving through that virtual process seeing the light in everyone, and and in this case, in everything, and the ways y'all were able to highlight some of the joys of virtual learning. It makes me think about this final question as we wrap up, which would be, we talk at Sandy Spring Friends School about self-advocacy, and I feel like we always talk about it in a way that feels very quickly, like it's almost a school value. And so, so, and I can tell by your smiles, you've heard it too, right? So how does self-advocacy square up with our Quaker values and our Quaker identity? What's the connection between self-advocacy and Quakerism? I think that self-advocacy truly builds a community because it makes the community run smoother if everyone feels as if, one, that they belong, and two, that they're going to get what they need at the end of the day. Self-advocacy helps aid those things and our spices we have community in that so i do think those two things go hand in hand yeah and i'm thinking like oh when i think about peace i think it actually does make sense peace and self-advocacy because 
you just feel more at rest in a way or you feel calm because you think oh if standing up for yourself goes well you're like oh I'm not upset about that anymore I'm not mad about it anymore I feel good about myself I feel nice and calm and I'm happier now because I was able to stick up for myself. So to piggyback off what Susie said I think it really is a self-peace there's like a burn off your shoulder like oh I've gone to my teacher they've helped me I can now do I'm ready for whatever I need to do for this class or so I think just the self-peace and reassurance it it really does pay off. Okay, Susie had me get one more question in because I thought that was the last question that Susie said something, oh, I want to ask about this. And I want to ask about, especially living in, as Josh called them, these unprecedented times, right? Where we're seeing so many instances of protest and civil unrest and even insurrection. How does that square with this notion of self-advocacy? What's the connection between self-advocacy and protest and what's the line between self-advocacy and an insurrection or riot? All of it, it's almost like it's on a spectrum, but how do you know when you've moved out of the self-advocacy box and into some of those more um, extreme boxes, for lack of a better word? I think obviously you need to let your life speak, right? You need to advocate for yourself, but I think the line is definitely crossed when it becomes negative and hateful. And I mean, obviously, I think the big example on our minds is the riots in D.C. It turned from their opinions, their, them sharing their opinions to them bringing hate. So I think, like I said, going back to earlier, if, is it positive for everybody as a whole or is it just not? It's also like with protests and riots, the riots were more of what they wanted and the protests are more of what we need. Like we need justice, but they wanted a recount. So with self-advocating, it's about what you need to help you and to help others, I guess. Something that I said all the way at the beginning of uh, when you asked what is self-advocacy, I brought in a sense of self-awareness because when talking about self-advocacy between like, oh, what's worth it and what's not, the lines can get blurred very quickly and very easily. And I think part of being an effective self-advocate is that self-awareness and being able to recognize the good and bad. It's much easier to say than actually act out, but as long as you're continually checking on yourself, making sure you're aware of what you're asking for and the impacts on other people, I think you are on the right track. So I'm hearing us land as we end this in a place of balancing your needs and wants with the needs and wants of a wider community. And that's, there is self-advocacy, but at the center of that is really taking stock of and what's the impact going to be on those around me, thinking not just for the self, but for others. And, and that certainly reflects who we are as a school, our Quaker values and identities, and, and the people that y'all are growing to be. So I'm so thankful that we had this conversation. And, and I hope that not just parents, but faculty and students all listen to this because you spoke to all of it about what you need as a young person learning to self-advocate in your school years. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.